you have your Bible on you, you can open to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word that you have. We thank you for the ways that you have equipped each of us with different gifts. And then there are certain gifts you've given us, individuals, that do different things. And one of those gifts is the gift of just generosity and giving. And I believe it's okay that we ask for that gift. And we should desire to want to be givers because you're a giver. So teach us that truth this morning. Give us patience with your word and understanding of it so that we can, so we can really know it and then live it. And pray that Jesus would be magnified this morning. Pray your spirit would consume me as I speak and fill our hearts and minds with truth. We trust you to do a mighty work through the power of your word. Pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So as I've said before, and will say again throughout this entire series, this whole series on a healthy church, um, so far we've done a healthy church loves, or I'm sorry, a healthy church explores Christ, a healthy church obeys God's word, and a healthy church loves God and others. And today we'll be looking at a healthy church gives. So just some clarity, because I've been in ministry for a long time, and I've had people say to me, well, yeah, I give, like I gave somebody my vehicle, and I give the church my time, and I give the church my gifts. We have to understand that those are things that are good that those people are giving, okay? But that is not what biblical giving is about, that is, that is a form of giving, but when the Bible talks about giving, it is talking about cold, hard cash, money, signing a check. Like, and, and let's be honest, money is a sensitive subject to a lot of people, even Christians. I mean, if you look at people's lives, if you think about it like this, if you're struggling with anything spiritually, you would expect me your pastor, to speak truth into your life, to correct you, to encourage you and exhort you. You'd expect me to step into that area of your life that needs work. You want me. I know you want me to pay attention to your life, to see where there's needs, and to intervene for your good. I know you expect that from your shepherds. But if I came to you and said, are you giving? You'd be like, well, who are you to talk about my money? It's mine. There's a reason my che checkbook closes, so you can't see it. There's a reason my wallet's in my pocket, so you can't touch it. We're very sensitive about money. You want to know why? And I really believe this. Because money, your money, genuinely, I should back up, how you use your money will genuinely reveal your spiritual health. 
How you use your money will show the world and me, if I looked at your checkbook, how you're spending your money. And how you spend your money will tell me a lot about where you're at spiritually, emotionally, mentally. So the reason we protect our money, you know, we walk into church and we're like, oh, yeah, oh I've been struggling with this sin and that sin and this sin. But when it comes to money, we can close up. We don't talk about it. It's not socially acceptable. Can you imagine if I came up to you after church and said, how much money do you make a year? You'd be like, dude, that's so personal. Because then you know how much I should be tithing. <laughs> and that's not true because there's no parameters for how much to tithe. But, but you, you, can, you, you know like it's not even socially acceptable to talk about money in a lot of ways. There's no openness in the church. Why aren't we more honest? We go to these Bible studies, we sit together, and we say, oh, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that. And we might say, like, oh, I'm struggling financially, but what do we mean when we say that? I need money. That's typically, and that's okay to have that need and to share that struggle, but I, we're not often saying, I'm not spending money well, and we don't want to talk about the details because it's private. So I am not suggesting today that we start making all of our financial, personal finances public. It's not where I'm going with this. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that the act of giving is no less important than every other spiritual discipline that we are commanded to partake in. And so it's time that we start being a little more honest about our money because our money reveals who we really are. How we use it reveals who we are. If I look at your checkbook and it's like, you're going to the movies every two days. You go golfing 15 times a week. And you, you, know, you buy all kinds of things. And, you're, and, you're, and it's clear that you're not spending your money wisely. That says a lot about where you're at in spiritual, mental, emotional health, doesn't it? If there's a lot of diligence in your spending, it's like, oh, that's good. And plus, like, if you know, if someone knows how much you make, then it kind of tells people how much you should give based on, I guess we probably all operate under the 10% rule, or at least it's kind of the general standard in the church, like I give at least 10%, Bible doesn't say that. Well, we will talk about how to give and what to give, and why we give, and the why is the most important part. So when we talk about a healthy church gives, I am, God is God is not at all ashamed to tell you what to do with your money. Not at all. Not even a hint. Not even close. Do you want to know why? Because it's not yours. It's not your money. It's his. He gave it to you. And he didn't give it to you to say, here, take this and do what you want with it. If you gave your child 20 bucks, would you say, just go spend it free, freely as you want. I don't care what you do. And they come back with, what, a bag of candy, Right? $20 of candy and a soda. That's what they're going to come back with. You give your kid 20 bucks, you want them to manage it well. Teach them that at a young age. God gives you his money to use for his glory. And how do we use it for his glory? Well, the obvious one today, you give. But in addition to that, you pay your bills, use it responsibly, and is it okay to use your money to have fun? Of course it is! Right? Of course it is. You think God wants you to be bored for the rest of your life? Why do you think we made Will the deacon of fun? <laughs> we want to have fun. So we're going to give Will all the church's money and see what happens. No, kidding. I can guarantee you there would be pizza involved. <laughs> so 
the reality is that this is your money. That's God's money. I know you guys know that. I know you already know that. I'm reminding you. And then God has all the right in the world to tell you what to do with his money that he has given to you to steward. And what he tells you is in the word. And then he has picked me to be the guy just for this specific group to tell you what it says. So I unapologetically and without shame will proclaim to you today what God is telling you to do with your money. And not specifics on how to manage your money, but the heart of why, which is what we're really going to get to. So, my aim today is, is that we are become a healthy church, and a healthy church is filled with healthy Christians. And the healthy Christians give. So, my aim is, is ultimately for you to give because you love the gospel. That's my aim. To bring the gospel to the front and say, look at how amazing this gospel is. Look how beautiful it is. Look at Jesus in this gospel. This is so great. And because of the beauty of what Jesus does in the gospel, as an example for us, we ought to give. And I'll show you how and why that's a reality. So that's our destination. Our destination is to get to the gospel. That's our destination today. On our way to the destination, we're going to take three quick detours. So let's start. Verses 1 through 4. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4 is our first detour. And the first detour is joy plus poverty equals generosity. Now that doesn't make sense. Because how does poverty equal generosity? Well, you know how poverty becomes generosity? Joy. When you add joy to it. I'll show you. Verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Okay. Let me give you some context to what's happening here. Who's who in this scenario? We've got the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem is poor. And I mean like dirt poor, like homeless, begging for money kind of poor. All right? The believers in Jerusalem. And then you've got Paul, the author of this text, and he's talking to the Corinthians who are rich. They live in the epicenter of commerce. All right? There's, the church itself has plenty of money. And certainly compared to the Jerusalem church, plenty of money. So Paul's talking to the, Jerus to the to Corinthian church about the poor people in Jerusalem. And ultimately he's saying, you guys should give to the poor people in Jerusalem. And you would think his reason is, because you're rich and they're poor. It's part of his reason, but that's not the heart of his reason. And so what he does is he says, I want to show you an example, Corinthians. So he adds another player to the mix. And the other player is the churches in Macedonia. The churches in Macedonia are also poor. And he's telling the Corinthians, rich Corinthians, about how the poor people, the poor church in Macedonia, gave a ridiculous amount of money to the poor people in Jerusalem. Seems like a pretty easy conclusion to draw for the Corinthians, right? 
The poor people are given to the poor people. What should we, the wealthy people, be doing? So Paul's point for the Corinthians is that these Macedonian churches that gave are poor. And from that poverty, we see this really cool equation. And what Paul says in verse 2 is that these Macedonians, these, it's, it's multiple churches like Philippi. We get the book of Philippians from the church in Philippi. That's who Paul is writing to. That's one of the churches in Macedonia. Thessalonica is a church in Macedonia that, that Paul also writes to the Thessalonians. So we have some familiarity with these churches. So it's a, And a church in Berea. That was another church that was in Macedonia. Macedonia was a Roman province in northern Greece that was totally impoverished because they had, it was like ridden with wars. I mean, if you look at just world history of Rome and Greece and all the things that are happening in the Mediterranean area, there is just war after war. The Romans are conquering lands and, and it's just totally impoverished. And now you've got these, this, this land where there's these new churches growing and they're growing in an area that is ruled by the Romans, um, plundered by the Romans, and ruled by the Romans, and the people are left with nothing. The people themselves. So you've got these poor churches who hear the, these poor people who hear the gospel and believe, and now they're poor Christians. They got no money. Okay? Yet, and, and that idea Paul expresses in verse 2, because he says that these churches were, verse 2, severely afflicted. And their affliction was that poverty. Okay, and then in fact, in verse 2, Paul calls it extreme poverty. Extreme poverty. Not just poor, but extremely poor. The Greek word for poverty there refers to the most severe form of economic deprivation. They have nothing. They are homeless beggars. Most people in this room have never experienced that kind of poverty. Most of us. Because I've met a lot of people who've told me like, Oh, yeah, I was homeless. Like, you were homeless? Like, yeah, I lived with my mom for a while. I was like, that's not homeless. <laughs> you know, like, um, I mean, you don't have a home, so I guess I understand that. And, you know, I, I'm not making light of people who are in difficult financial situations and have to find help for places to live, okay? But what I'm saying is these people had nothing. And I mean nothing. Not even a job. So now, despite their extreme poverty, notice three things. Macedonians are broke as broke. Okay. One, Paul still encourages them to give. Two, they still give. And three, they give abundantly. So, Paul gives us this math equation in verse two. He says, their abundance of joy and they're extreme poverty. So we have these two things, joy and poverty. So we have joy plus poverty. Paul's literally adding these things together. So because of these two things mixed together, so joy plus poverty, what does that equal? Verse 2, overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. He doesn't say, they gave. Listen to the words here. Overflowed. That's abundance. That's more than enough. Of what? Wealth. Where's the wealth come from? From their generosity. So joy plus poverty doesn't have to equal, I'm still broke. 
Therefore, I can't give. That's not what joy plus poverty equals. Joy plus poverty, most of us would say joy plus poverty means content equals contentment. Oh, I have no money, but I'm happy with where God has me. I'm content. And because I have no money, I mean, because I have joy, despite the fact that I have no money, I still have contentment in my Lord. Well, good. I'm glad. And that's great. And it's biblical. But that doesn't mean, therefore, in my contentment, without money, I can't give. The actual equation is joy plus poverty. Because I am so satisfied in my contentment from my poverty, I will give generously. That's not because you're broke. It's because you have the greatest riches in the existence of eternity. You have Christ. And a heart that understands the appreciation of the gospel can't help but give because you have been given more than anyone has ever been given. Amen. And so, and that's, the, that's ultimately our destination. We'll dive into that a little bit. So the funny thing is that's an equation that doesn't work in America. It just doesn't work in America. I'm broke and I'm happy, so I'm going to give anyways. America's got a different idea. America's got the dream. The American dream, right? Start something, make money, Get yours. Do it on your own. Work hard. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. If it's your idol, then there's something wrong with it. But there's nothing wrong with working hard and making money and saving and building wealth. There's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But here's the problem. Only 20% 20% of regular church attenders in America actually give regularly to their church. So 20% of people who go to church in America give. So that's 80% of the church that's not giving. Okay? Of that 20% that does give, most of them, 80% of them, only give 2% of their income. So what we have in an American church is not joy plus poverty equals generosity. We don't have that in the American church. You know what we have in the American church? Hoarding plus wealth equals selfishness. Or you could actually say, I'm sorry, selfishness. Did I say it wrong? Ah, there we go. Thanks, Brad. <laughs> selfishness plus wealth equals hoarding. Not giving. I've got money. I've got my dream. I want to build a business. I want to make, 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 build, 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 get, get, get. That's my American dream, man, to get mine. I'm trying to build wealth. I want to retire when I'm 50. i got to build wealth, man. i got a lot of work to do. It's all about getting that paper so that I can have my life for 20 years instead of retiring when I'm 75 years old. I get to retire, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with financial wisdom. I mean... We promote here at Grace Church Financial Peace University where Dave Ramsey talks about building wealth for the future. That is totally fine. But you know what his motivation for building wealth is? You know what the ultimate purpose of building wealth is? To give. Amen. Right? To give. All right? And there's nothing wrong with retiring at a different age or having lots of money or building a big business. There's nothing wrong. I'm not knocking that. But if we are losing our generosity for personal wealth, that's a problem. So there are two more things that we can see about giving while we're on our first detour. 
In verse 3, Paul says, they gave according to their means. Meaning this, giving is proportionate. Okay? If you make, let's say, $50,000 a year, should you give $45,000 away? Probably not. Your family's going to be really upset with you when you can't provide them with food and they all die. All right? So not wise. Like, oh, Pastor Mark said, I got to give till I'm poor. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, Paul says that later in, ver- in chapter 8 in verse 13. He says, I do not mean that others should be eased and you should be burdened. So that, um, but, but that as a matter of fairness, you give abundantly. Okay, so Paul's not saying, hey, you should get broke so other people are going to have money. That's not what he's saying, all right? But, being, but that your giving should be in, pro- in proportion to what you have. And Paul shows that in verse 3. They gave according to their means. But there's another rule here that Paul slides in. They also, verse 3, gave beyond their means. So though giving is proportionate, it is also sacrificial. How many of you, and I know you've heard this. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard this. Give till it hurts. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't like that phrase because it, it kind of leaves a lot of truth out of the phrase. It, it makes it seem like, oh, there's this nobility and just giving till it hurts. That's not the point. The point is that we, we don't, the goal isn't to give until I'm hurting. The goal is to give abundantly to supply for the needs of others and to exalt the gospel. So give till it hurts doesn't hit home on the motivation for giving. I would say give sacrificially in proportion to your wealth to the point where needs are fulfilled. Now that's not a catchy phrase. (laughs) So we don't like throw that one around. But hey, that's why I don't like those little memes and pictures on Facebook that leave so much truth out with just one little phrase. Give till it hurts just doesn't fill it. All right? Give proportionately and sacrificially till needs are fulfilled. All right. So we're going to take another detour. Our second detour to our destination, which is the gospel, is this. Your giving is God's grace. Let me summarize that in this. When you give, that's God giving through you. That's God's grace through you. Verse 5. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Just stop and listen to that sentence. That is a massive, doctrinally and theologically important statement in the Bible. Because theology is nothing if it doesn't come into practice. So this is the, one of the greatest concepts of Christian practice in the entire Bible. Listen to what they did. They gave themselves first to the Lord. You do that first, and everything else falls into order. That's it. Matthew 6, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God first. First. First come to me. God's like, come to me first, let me take you, transform you, work on you, and then I will make myself, God, your priority. And once I prioritize myself in your life, because you're giving yourself to me first, I will make everything else in your life just come into order. I will work out the rest, 
Make me first and the rest will start to become clear. How you spend your money, don't worry about it. Work with me and I will give you the heart and mind that understands how to spend your money. Not sure how to treat your wife? Don't worry about it. Come to me. I will make you like Christ and I promise as I do, you will treat your wife well. I don't know how to behave at my job or if I should keep this job or take that job or do this or get that vehicle or make this decision. I, I don't know what to do in life, God. Don't worry. Come to me. I will make you like Christ and I will prioritize your heart and mind to be like mine. That's why you seek him first. So they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then, what happens? By the will of God to us. Meaning they go to, they seek God first. God changes them and he changes their will. He changes the way they think. He changes their desires and their passions and their heart and their mind. So that by the will of God, they now desire to, to live in God's will. And their desire now is to come to us. Which in this case would be the apostles, or to the church in Jerusalem. And so they gave themselves to the Lord first. God changed their hearts and minds. And then they said, oh man, I love God. He's so amazing. I want to be just like Jesus. God is a giver. I want to be a giver. I'm broke, but I have joy. I'm going to give abundantly with wealth of generosity to the, to the church in Jerusalem. Verse 6. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. So, when Paul says that they gave of their own free will, back in verse 3, he's not saying that they gave freely apart from God's sovereignty or apart from God's intervention. What he's saying is that they first devoted themselves to God. God changed their hearts and minds and changed their will, and their will became free experience. They experienced this freedom of will as God changed their mind into his mind, and now they joyfully and willfully desire to give constantly and generously and abundantly. Meaning gracious giving and genuine joy in giving only comes from a developed devotion to God who produces the right heart for cheerful giving. So your giving is not you acting in grace. It is God acting out his grace through you. Because in order to be a faithful giver, you have to first go to God. If you write that check or give however you give, without God in mind, what does that do? What does it do? I mean, we collect, if we collect the money and we count it, we don't like your check and go, mmm, I can feel it. This one wasn't prayed over. Throw it away. Like, we don't operate that way. Your money still works in the real world. Whether you gave for the right reason or not, it still works. But that doesn't, I, I, don't, I don't want that. I don't want it. I don't want it. Elders don't want that money. This is not about Grace Church getting more money. This is not about you giving and this is not about you giving more. Not at all. This is, everything has to do with your heart and your mind. I want a healthy church. I want healthy Christians. And healthy Christians give for the right reasons. So this is not a sermon about you giving. This is a sermon about your heart and my heart. We've written checks. All of us have probably done it. Written checks for the wrong reasons. Giving out money for the wrong reasons. 
tithes without it being at all a spiritual discipline, but instead it was a legalism. Hey, I have to give. It's my responsibility. I'm commanded to do it. I ought to just do it because I'm told to do it. And I write this check, and there's no joy. There's no cheer. There's a reason we don't pass the plate anymore. You know why? Because 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7 says you should never give under compulsion. I don't know about you, but if I visit a church for the first time and I'm sitting there and there's like not a lot of people around me and the plate comes to me and I don't put money in, I'm like, I better put money in this plate. That's compulsion. I have just, as a leader, forced a congregation, forced members of the congregation to now give not cheerfully, not joyfully, not as they had previously determined, but now under compulsion, which is sin. That's why we put the the box in the back and we say you want to give you'll give you don't want to give you won't give i don't keep track of who gives what we do that on purpose i don't know how much you give i don't care if you ever come to church one day does he know that i didn't give i don't know anything okay <laughs> i don't know anything and then we do that on purpose okay and we mix up the people who count money so that there isn't one person who always knows there's only one guy who knows and he's our treasurer because he writes he records everything all right? Your heart in giving is the most important thing here. Your attitude and your, your, your why, your reason for giving is our destination, our aim. So before we get to the destination, take one more detour, okay? Detour number three. Giving is a spiritual discipline. Verse seven. But as you excel in everything... In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So, what you have here is faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness. Earnestness is uh, like spiritual zeal, passion for the Lord, okay? Um, and love. So, faith, speech, knowledge, passion, love. Paul calls these acts of grace, things that all of us would agree here that we should have and do well, right? Everyone here would say, hey, let's hear a sermon about faith. Hey, let's hear a sermon about how to speak and what we should and shouldn't say. Because ultimately, when Paul talks about speech and knowledge, FYI, he's talking about doctrine. Speaking correct doctrine and applying correct doctrine in your life. And then having a spiritual passion for sound doctrine. All of that is, is wrapped up in faith and speech and, and knowledge. And so... Let's hear a sermon on faith. Let's hear a sermon on how we should speak. Let's hear a sermon on doctrine. Let's hear a sermon on spiritual passion. Let's hear a, a sermon on knowledge. Or, like Christian gave us last week, a sermon on love. Those are great. We would all agree those are great spiritual disciplines. Well, what about a sermon on giving? That's a spiritual discipline too. In fact, that's the reason Paul gives us this list. Because he calls this list, or back in verse uh, 6, he calls giving an act of grace. And then in verse 7, he says, excel also in this act of grace. So he calls giving an act of grace twice, verse 6 and verse 7. But then he adds it to the list of faith, speech, knowledge, and love and earnestness. Meaning, stop taking giving and moving it into its own category because it's, it's too hot of a topic for people to deal with. Oh, let's talk about faith. Let's be open and honest about faith and knowledge and doctrine and passion and spirituality and love. Yeah, talk, talk, talk about it. Let's talk about giving. Whoa, 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 whoa. Like Paul's aware of that reality. 
Like, let's, let's pull back on that one, because when you start talking about money, people start running away. They become, they feel guilty and shame because they don't give enough, or maybe they should give more. And all these mixed feelings, and then the, the legalism grows because, you know, oh, I'm just told I have to give money now. I mean, how many of you, at one point in your life, have sat in a sermon, and your preacher said, started preaching about giving, and gave you some verse where it's like, give, 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 reference Malachi 3.10, and said, don't rob God, don't rob God, you're robbing God by not giving, and okay, we're at the end of the sermon now, just so you know, we're going to start a new building project, just so everyone knows, we really need you to give to that building project, <laughs> like, wow, those, those realities line up really fast, and here's the funny thing, we're actually going to talk about a building project later today, so... <laughs> Unrelated because we're not asking for money for it, just so you know. Okay. But, uh, you know, you hear those, and we've all seen that in church, and we get this really gross feeling about, like, dude, this church is just looking to get rich and have money to do this and that, whatever. You know, we, I, if, you, if you know me at all, that's not what we're about here. We're about building a healthy church, and a healthy church gives. The, mon the word money isn't in that equation at all. I did not say a healthy church is rich in money. A healthy church is wealthy. I, the healthiest churches that have ever existed have no money and meet in people's basements because they'll get murdered if they found out that they're meeting together. Those are healthy churches. They don't have big buildings or lots of money or tons of people. They are God-loving, Christ-centered people who just love Jesus and want to share the gospel and get together and study the word and grow that that is a healthy church. We can be that. We don't need money to be that. But our circumstance is different. We're free. We live in a very free country. We have the freedom to build and meet and grow. And we have ministries that reach out to lots of people. And there's no, no worries about being persecuted for it. And in order for those operations to work, we do need money. God knows that. That's, his, that's one of the sub-reasons why giving is a biblical command. But the priority for giving is not about the church having money to do things. The priority is to fulfill the needs of others. And ultimately, for you as an individual, your giving is a heart check. Your checkbook tells you, should tell you a lot more about who you are than probably anything else in life. So giving is a spiritual discipline, meaning we practice it like we practice reading, like we practice praying, like we practice everything. It is a regular and consistent activity that is a discipline, and Paul calls it an act of grace. So we finally reach our destination, and our destination is this. Giving is the gospel, okay? Giving is the gospel, meaning giving is not about money. Giving is about the gospel. Look at verse 8 and 9. Paul kind of wraps up all this. He, so he's used the Macedonians, and then he's telling the Corinthians what's going on in Jerusalem. He says, oh, the Macedonians are poor. And the poor people, because of their joy, gave a wealth of generosity out of their poverty. So the poor gave to the poor. Now he gives us a different example, a better example, verses 8 and 9. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become 
rich. So now Paul, after saying Macedonians are poor, the poor gave to the poor, he's saying, now what about the rich? Jesus is the wealthiest human, uh, sorry, Jesus, before he became a man, is, is I mean, wealth, wealth isn't even a word we can apply to him. He doesn't, he's not just wealthy, he owns everything. He created it all. He's the God of the universe. Like, the idea that he's wealthy is almost a ridiculous concept. He owns the universe. So when, like, Satan tempts him in Matthew 4, he's like, I'll give you all these kingdoms. Jesus is probably like, yeah, dude, uh, made that tree, built those people. I'll take it later when I die, after I die on the cross. So, like, ultimately, he's this wealth. The idea of him being wealthy is... It's just beyond us, right? And he says, for your sake, he who was rich, rich in what? Rich in glory, rich in the Father's presence, rich in everything. He had it all. He had everything. And what did he do? Philippians chapter 2, he went to humility. He humbled himself. He became a man. And not just becoming a man, but he was born in, in, as a baby, needing another human to take care of him. And then lived a perfect life for you. And then died. Didn't just die any kind of death. Died the most gruesome death possible. Death on a cross for you. He went from riches beyond comprehension to absolute poverty in the human flesh. In the form of the people whom he created so that you could be rich. There is no better example of giving than Jesus Christ himself. And that is Paul's home run here. That's his destination. He goes, when you give, you are showing people the gospel. You have plenty, Corinthians. And I would look around here and I would say, if you... I don't know who has how much money. But I would be willing to bet... I mean, all of you are wearing decent clothes. Some of you. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm glad we can banter like this, guys. Um... <laughs> And you know I'm kidding. So you have fine clothes on. I see your cars. They're nice cars. Um, you, I, you're here. I assume you ate this week. Uh, you have running water. I mean, what do you lack? I mean, I'm sure. Many of you can say, I'm, I'm, man, I, I have lots of problems right now, lots of financial hardships. I'm not saying you don't. I'm just saying in the scheme of life, you look at the rest of the world, we're rich, all of us. Plenty rich. The average median income in Osceola, which I would imagine probably applies to the other surrounding areas too, is well over $50,000 a year. Now some of you might be going, that's not enough to live on. And some of you are going, 50000 I only make twenty-five. You know? I, I don't know. But all I'm saying is, compared to the poor people in Jerusalem, compared to the poor people living on the streets of Minneapolis, compared to all the homeless people, compared to most of the nations in this world, you're rich. And I mean filthy rich compared to them. And but we, our, our lifestyle, our mentality has changed. We're like, like okay, this, earlier this week, um, I don't know why, it was actually a couple weeks ago, I don't know why, I changed my passcode on my phone. All right? Changed my passcode on my phone, and I decided to make it like, instead of just the numbers, you know, it's like three, two, five, eight, or whatever, I decided to write out an entire word and add a bunch of characters, and I was like, yeah, no one will ever guess this. 
Didn't think about it for two weeks. My phone shut off, turned back on, and said, enter your password. And I was like, I have no idea what my password is. Oh, like, I can't even, like, I know there was an, I know there was an R in it, but I also know it was, it was three words and, like, two characters and a couple numbers. And I'm like, ah. So I start entering, and like, nope, nope, nope. And then they're like, your phone's locked. And I'm like, uh-oh. So I do some research. I call Apple. They're like, there's literally nothing we can do. There's, we made your phone impenetrable unless you know your passcode. I'm like, all right, how do I get my phone back? Like, you have to wipe it clean and start over. And I was like, no! <laughs> it's like, it was the worst moment. I, and, and so for like, it was, it was the middle, it was like late at night. And so from like maybe 10 p.m. to like 10 a.m. the next morning for like 12 hours, other than the time I was sleeping, I was like, oh, my phone doesn't work. I don't know what to do. Christian's probably texting me right now. I can't even answer him. Oh, my gosh. Like, I was just in panic. Like, what if I have emails? Oh, what am I going to do? What if tomorrow? I got to wipe out my phone and my pictures are gone. I was just freaking out. And I realized, I'm like, what kind of world do I live in? Where I am in freak out mode because my phone isn't on. Two hours before I go to bed and for the one hour I'm awake in the morning. And the funny thing is Christian's like, dude, why couldn't I get a hold of you, man? <laughs> I was like, my phone was dead. So we live on these phones and, and it's, just, it's just an example of like the kind of wealth and riches we live in. I'm not, again, keep in mind, I have no idea how much you give. But how could we ever not give an abundance of wealth with generosity? Just based on the amount of money we have. Just on that concept, that practical reality alone. But then in addition to that, and, and more than that, which is ultimately Paul's point, how can you look at the gospel of Jesus Christ? A man who became a man for you, which then in and of itself is a huge step of humility, but became a man who had known the greatest wealth possible and the presence of the Father and his glory and joy for eternity past. There was no beginning to that glory. It had no start. It wasn't like, oh, 10,000 years ago, God was created and it was glorious. No, forever. We can't even wrap our minds around that concept, that timeline of forever in his glory. And then he's like, I'll just become a dude. What? I'll just get into the flesh. Why? Are you going to go back to being God again when you're, I mean, I mean, he's always God, but are you going to go back to where you were before? No, I'm going to live in the flesh for eternity. You're going to do what? You're going to, from eternity past, with no beginning, live in the glory and the presence of God in perfect unity and harmony and love and joy beyond anything your brain has ever conceived of in this human flesh. And God, in Jesus, you're going to, the Son of God, you're going to step into Flesh would become Jesus, and then for the rest of eternity, stay in that body? Why? For you. For you. It makes my father look amazing, and you get the blessing. That is... If, if that doesn't shake your soul, then I'm afraid we might believe in different Gospels. And if that kind of... Wealth to poverty for the sake of someone else doesn't say to you, how could I not also express that gospel when I give to the church or give to a charity or give to those who need? How could we not give? That's Paul's point. 
The destination here is the gospel. You give because you were given to. You were poor too. And if he had not gone from riches to poverty for you, you'd be dead in your poverty. And instead, you're rich in his glory because he chose poverty for you. He took your poverty. He took your poverty, which is your death, for you. How could we not then simply write a stinking check? Right? Again, I'm not pushing you to give more or to give at all. I'm, I'm trying to reach your, I'm trying to get you to see how awesome the gospel is. And then the fruit and the manifestation of believing that gospel should be giving in addition to a hundred other things. Like serving. More than serving. Like worship. Studying, prayer, fasting, confessing, fellowship, rest, celebration, generosity, that's giving, love, discipleship, those are spiritual disciplines. If you believe that gospel, that, those are the things that come to life in you. If you believe that gospel, how could it not produce in you generosity, serving, love, discipleship, Prayer, fasting, studying God's word, confession, worship, fellowship, rest, celebration. How are those things not a reality in your life if you believe this gospel? So here's my point. I'm sick of, and maybe you agree, maybe you don't, nominal Christianity. People are like, I'm a Christian, I go to church. Do you serve? No. Do you worship? No. Do you give? No. Do you pray? No. Do you study the Bible? No. Do you celebrate glory? No. Do you rest well? No. Do you make disciples or get discipled? No. You're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. Christians do those things. And not because Pastor Mark just told you to do it. Not at all. Because it's the heart of a person who loves their Lord, and that is who their Lord is. I was asking Christian the other day while we were golfing. Um... <laughs> I was like, do you think they know we're golfing right now? I'm kidding, I didn't say that. So, because uh, <laughs> you didn't until now. So, uh, <laughs> um, I said to him, do you think that people who use the Lord's name in vain regularly and constantly without, without any conviction that it's not okay, but they say the name Jesus Christ as a curse regularly. Do you think that those people are genuinely saved? His answer was, I don't know. How, I mean, how could, you, how could he be your Lord and you, and you do that to him and you curse him? How could you be a believer? I mean, I get that we've probably all done it, you know, and it's like not something we try to do or want to do. I'm not saying if you use the Lord's name in vain that you're not saved. That's not what I'm saying. My point is, what is the heart of a genuine believer? They love their Lord. They won't, they won't curse his name. And if they do, they'll get checked, they'll feel the conviction, and they'll work on it. And they'll try not to. And they'll feel the conviction when they do. But if there's no conviction, you're just spouting his name out as a cuss word constantly, then there's no Holy Spirit going, don't do that. Are you studying, praying, fasting, 
Confessing, worshiping, fellowship, rest, celebration, service, generosity, that's giving, love and discipleship. Are those things you practice? Because Christians practice those things. So this is not just about money. This is about the heart of believers. This is about breaking out of, I'm a Christian because I go to church. This is about becoming a healthy, God-glorifying, Christ-centered, spirit-saturated, word-centered, vibrant, passionate, spiritually driven Christian who wants to change the world for the glory of God. And you know who, you know, you can't do that alone. We need to do it together. The church needs to come together and do it as a unit, which means we need to become, as a unit, congregationally, a healthy church. And a healthy church is made up of healthy Christians. And healthy Christians give because they believe this gospel. I'm not asking you to give. I'm not asking you to give more. I'm asking you to run to this gospel, love it, learn it, absorb it, fall in love with it, talk about it, read about it, study it, practice these spiritual disciplines, and the result, I won't have to tell you to give, you just will. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know this is not about money. Money is just a tool for your glory. This is about you. We want to be like you. This church doesn't need money to do what you choose to do. You will do what you do however you do it. And if you choose to make it a finances and means by which we get it done, then so be it. But you are after, and we are after hearts that love you. So I pray, Father, that you would change and grow, change our hearts and grow our hearts to appreciate and love the gospel more. That we would go from, if we're nominal Christians, kind of like part-time, barely part-time Christians just walking through the motions, if that's us, I pray you would shake that tree Till all of that sin falls out and you break us down into nothing to build us back up in your righteousness. We'd be like Jesus. That is the kind of healthy Christian you want. Pray that you would do that work through us all. And pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.